Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms by watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about Rent, specifically the original Broadway production's performance on April 19th, 1996. Y- you've, you've probably watched this. You've probably seen this bootleg. It's, you can find it. Search it up. It'll be there. It's not hard to get. Watch it with us. We mention this because while we review the show itself, we also talk about the specific performance that we've seen. The net is your friend, dudes. That was egregious. So, without further ado, the curtain is now rising. You know, when you think about it, we all pay a monthly fee for Wi-Fi to have Wi-Fi active. So we're really paying rent to the internet, aren't we? Please enjoy our... Oh, it's giving me a headache. Please enjoy our discussion... We of do. The, ...of the original Broadway production of Rent. It's insane to think of. I mean, would they pay rent for the internet? Hiya, Dan. How's it going? Hi, Josh. How are you? Is this your fucking Daphne Rubin Vega impression? Come on, out the game. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You couldn't even let the audience, like, warm up to us. You had to, like, come fucking swinging with this. I got my bats out swinging. I'm not having a conversation with Daphne Rubenbaker. I'm not talking to Daphne Rubenbaker for 90 fucking minutes. Get get get, get it out of your system. Just please exercise. Who do you think you are judging oh my God. me and oh my, my God. um my uh <laughs> sure guitar. No forethought. No, no no forethought, no planning, no Hold nothing. On, there's something you should hear. I'd really rather not, Dude, truthfully. Uh, it, um, some, something about it took all year. <laughs> no. You know what didn't take all year? This oh, impression Jesus. would you cobble together in like five fucking minutes. <laughs> like, there was no inner life. There was no practice. <laughs> fucking, you, you heard Anna Pascal say, ah, and then decided to base an impression off that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. It's Rent! It's Rent! It's Rent today. We're doing Rent today. Rent? Rent, the original Broadway cast of Rent. I watched Jack Goes Boating. What is What is that? What is that? It, it, is that real? It, it, yeah, it's a play with Daphne Rubin-Vega and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, oh. I, I just did my Philip Seymour Hoffman impression for you. <laughs> Yeah, get into me one more time with your favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman line. Your favorite Phil Cy Hoff. Uh huh. Who do you think you are? Oh, that was the. Okay, that was the impression. Me Capote in my typewriter. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Hold on, there's something you should hear. Enough! Okay. It's in uh, cold blood, are... and it took all year. 
We're talking about Rent. We're talking about the original Broadway cast of Rent. How fucking exciting is that? And you know how long this episode is gonna be? Five hundred ninety minutes. Twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, this is. You, just pulling back the curtain for the audience. Um, we got our Spotify wrapped. I think they call it. Oh, we got yes. our Spotify condom back. And that's nope. That's not what it's called. <laughs> not what it's called. It's not. Unfortunately, no. Oh, it's not called a Spotify condom. Well something's wrapped and we got it back and we were like did we really record this much what was the what was the amount how many days over three have we, we we've released over, over three. three days worth in the last that's year that's not even total seven, that's in the last year 70 80 hours worth of content in yeah. the past year yes. so like you're fucking welcome like truthfully you should be paying us for this uh and we're gonna let you get off scot-free for now um, but when, we, and this is a when, not an if, when we start up the unauthorized critic circle only fans, then you'll see, then you'll see. And we expect you to show up. We've, we need you to show up, show out and show this only f- <laughs> <laughs> We have talked about this only fans and you have kept saying, no, I won't do it. I listen, I, I don't think I'll be the brand ambassador, but willing to participate in the profits. Whatever. Steer us on track. This was your choice. It was my choice. And you know what? I picked it because this has been a long time coming. I have been talking about doing a Rent episode for, like, at the least, the least a year. Maybe two. It isn't much, but it took a year. Are you going to keep coming back to that fucking lyric? Apparently. the third time you've mentioned it so far. Apparently. In the first five minutes. Nice to know that. Your eyes is what stuck with you through this. Not even the preamble to that song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, listen, Rent is not a show either of us feel casually about, right? Like, we both feel pretty strongly about this musical. You are speaking for me very, um, very strongly. Just like a bunch of white Jewish men try to speak for gay people. (laughs) You know, straight, fair. straight. I forgot the straight. Just like a bunch of. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to see if you'd actually like Pick acknowledge up. that part, or if you're yeah. insisting on the fact that I am an egg waiting to crack. <laughs> sure. Let's just say I was familiar with Brent, loved it at sure. one point, and you've told the story before on the podcast, I'm sure. But what's your history with Brent? What's your That's a stupid question. Ask intelligent questions. Tell me about the time you went to go see the movie Rent. Okay. I... (laughs) I can't remember. I'm shocked I told you this. Um... I, I saw the I movie. I can't remember for sure. I think at least I think it's been told on the podcast. At the very least, I've heard this story. I saw the movie. Before I saw the stage show, and yeah. um, I actually checked the the cast album out of the library even before that, and um, it was at the, <laughs> you know how they have the drive up window at the library, so you can just pick up books and something, and like I hid it in a bunch no? of different what? books at the drive. Yeah, we have drive up windows. A driving window the fuck at the That's library. The most American thing I've ever heard. Yeah, you need to incentivize people to get to the fucking library uh-huh. by going, hey, you don't have to leave your cars for it. Well, I got holy shit. 
I got the cast album from the library, and I had to, like, hide it in from a bunch of books. From the drive-thru. Please specify the drive-thru. Well, from the drive-thru, because my parents would ask me, you know, what are you getting otherwise? But if it was the drive-thru, they'd just pass everything over to me, the back seat, and we'd keep driving. Wow. And that's how you got through Contraband? Uh-huh. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we were going to see the movie. Oh, I also wrote a... Um, the non-equity tour there have been multiple non-equity tours but the non-equity tour of rent was coming through town and we had to write a persuasive essay in fifth grade (laughs) english and i wrote an essay about how my parents should let me go see rent and my english teacher a terrific woman terrific woman who had great impact on my life um she came to school every day in skin tight red leather pants or some other kind of oh leather God. pant. Uh, she wore a wig. Like, that was definitely a wig that was not her natural hair. Mm. She was a drag queen. Okay, let's sure. just be honest. She was a drag queen. Um, wow. And she was mean and as so hell. So that was your spring awakening? She was as mean as hell. I was one of the kids she liked, randomly. And she didn't like many kids, but she liked me. Parent teacher conference nice. comes around, she tells my parents. Basically, let the little fag go see Rent. (laughs) (laughs) But I saw the movie, and um, my parents had to have the talk with me because they didn't—they knew they were on the hook for taking me to the movie because the movie Uh was only Uh PG-13, and they thought I was going to be confused. Were you? They had the talk with me, and it was awkward. Yes, I'm deeply connected to this show. Word. Uh, I watched it for the first time at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, you were fucking late. You were late. Yeah, you came I to was. me. I... You came to me because we were talking at the time. And you were like, "I saw Rent." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." We, 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 <laughs> we, we, uh huh. And and like, how did it compare it... to the other times you saw it? And you were like, "It was the first time I saw Rent," and that started a whole spiral for me yeah you did actually get into like a dark place from that you got into a dark place for if i recall correctly for like a couple days yeah the kids don't know rent anymore i'm out in the ether i don't know who i am it's not that i didn't know rent who who doesn't know rent we all know we all know seasons of love we all know la vie bohème we please your voice is getting to a scary octave we all like know rent you know it's just that i had never actually watched the show until 2021 and it's because you know i have this guideline that i'd maintained before the pandemic as much as possible where it's just like i try not to touch anything from a show until i get to see it live or like work on it um but my friend's birthday came around, and for my friend's birthday, they wanted to watch the Rent Pro Shot on Zoom. And so I went, all right, great. Uh, it was it was like a whole thing. I synced it up so that they would say no day but today exactly as midnight hit. And we I, I uh, got some, some alcohol. I went down to my parents' basement. And I'd never seen the show, so I decided I'm going to give myself like a fun little drinking game. I know nothing about Rent. I'm going to take a shot of tequila Every time they say the word rent, let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> I quit the game about five minutes into the show. Uh, I think after about like shot four, maybe five, the game became okay, new game. Joshua drinks when he wants to. Rent, 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 rent. I got shit. I, 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 I got, I got, I got, yeah, no, like. 
thankfully I tapped out before then. That would have been a- yeah. an actual. I think I would have started crying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got shit faced. Uh, I celebrated a birthday, lovely, and then the beginning of twenty twenty one was my much delayed rent phase, and I became an annoying ass rent head, and I sang all the songs so much. I think I told you you couldn't talk about rent with me. If I remember correctly, like, you're new to this show. Go away. I can't do this. You make me not happy. But here we are, older and wizened. We've sat Excuse through this me? material through the depths Excuse of our lives. Excuse me? What was that first We've word? We've gone through the highs and lows I don't of know our about lives you. You might have gotten older. Side. I am still golden. <laughs> and uh, we watched it again today. We watched it again. This was my first time ever seeing the original Broadway company. I haven't like Cute. watched the show since seeing the pro shot. I've just listened to the music a bunch. This is my first time like seeing this company. Cute. Thank you. This is like... One of, like, the top five, maybe ten most famous bootlegs in history, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Do we start with, like, the legacy of this show? The fact that, like, w- what this show has done in the past 25 years? Do we jump right into talking about, like, the material? Like, where do you start with this? Cultural monolith. Whew. I... So yeah. many things to say, and none of them the good first thing. Yeah, fair. Start us somewhere, uh... and I'll follow. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Um, <clears throat> Rent, rock opera, inspired by La Boheme. This shitty little off-Broadway musical with no set, five musicians, and just the most sort of trashy aesthetic you could think of ran for 12 years on Broadway. And that's not just because, you know, the fucking operating costs were so low. This was... A cultural monolith. This won every Tony. This had huge Broadway success. It garnered a movie. It won a fucking Pulitzer. Um, Macy's, I believe. It was Macy's or Saks, I don't know which. Uh, Had a clothing line based on the costumes. Really? Yes. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, what was the effect of Rent on Broadway? Oh, it was the biggest hit of all time. No one had ever seen anything like it, or so they said. That's insane, right? Like, the notion of glitzy, glamorous, razzle-dazzle Broadway. Its biggest ever smash hit being Rent. It extended beyond Broadway, and it was just an out-and-out hit in popular culture. I I imagine it has a lot to do with, like, where the world was in this period right the disillusionment from capitalism was probably a pretty uh pretty popular theme in the 90s oh god you are i don't know if i want to get into that yet but um it lightly touched on a lot of buzz phrases and whatnot yuppies bunch of other cultural references it was of the moment but also it was supposed to be 1989 when the show started so right it was (laughs) Not accurate in what year it was, but right, but accurate to the to nineteen ninety six. Accurate to nineteen ninety six, sure. And it was rock in a musical, and it was a, you know, but it, like rock. They said it was musical for the MTV generation. It was contemporary music on stage, which had kind of fallen out of style. Fallen out of style? How so? 
Well, let's take 94, 95. 1994, you had Passion, you had Beauty and the Beast. Those aren't pop hits. True. Uh, 95 is Sunset Boulevard. And whatever Angelo Weber does or doesn't, and some of his music does cross over to like pop culture, pop charts, but they aren't youthful pop songs or rock songs. This was the youth. This was the sound of the day. Or some right, modicum yeah. of it. I think a lot of people, you know, the influence of Sondheim was felt. And also the influence of the British invasion. And when I say the influence of Sondheim, they're taking the Sondheim that wrote Sweeney Todd. Because the Sondheim that wrote Company is dealing with modern pop sounds. Right. Yeah, the very... Bert Bacharachness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things slowly changed. And musical theater became more of like a a testament to current cultural moments. Yeah. Which has taken us in good and not good directions. But I gotta be honest, in terms of writing, I don't think we actually saw the after effects of Rent until the 2010s. Yeah? What do you think it popped up in? Something like Joe Iconis's work. Mm. It's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the contemporary writers that grew up with the show. Uh, as far as you look at the couple of years after Rent, it, mm-hmm. what was the next rock show? It was Jersey um, Boys, 2005. Jersey Boys Rock? No, but... Because I was literally going to say fucking, is it Rock of Ages? Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It's Jersey Boys isn't specifically rock, but it creates the jukebox musical that, honestly, musically rent didn't have the same sphere of influence. Whatever Jonathan Larson tried to do, others at the time weren't that interested in, possibly, or the Mm. producers weren't interested. As far as inherently feeling rent in writing, I don't think that came along until about 2010. Hmm. There were some production choices that happened because of rent, and everyone now had to be edgy, and everyone had to now be have a pop rock song ready in their audition book. But as far as the actual shows themselves, I think rent is more of an island. Interesting. And the big shows usually are. I mean... Right. You look at Hamilton. Yeah. That is an island in and of itself. And we are now, six, seven years after the fact, starting to get a couple of shows that seem influenced. But aren't completely. I think in another ten years, that's where we're going to see it. It takes some time for these things. That's true. Musicals do take a very long time. Uh... And you know, that's kind of something to look at with Rent, too, right? The fact that this is a, to be frank, this is a pretty unfinished musical. Oh, it's totally unfinished. As far as I understand it, really, Rent is a musical that has not gone through the preview process. Hasn't had a single preview. Like, they've performed previews, but the unfortunate reality is that... No, he died at the dress rehearsal, after the dress rehearsal. Exactly. He didn't so make the, it to preview one. Yeah, no. So, like, they performed 
a preview period off Broadway and a preview period in Broadway, on Broadway. <clears throat> but like, without the author there, it's like it's not really. Maybe you're tweaking the production, but th- you're not getting a different show. Like the amount of work production alone that would have gone into like the off Broadway preview process and the Broadway preview process, the performance we saw, the amount of work would have been equivalent to like a third preview. Like truly it is, we are pretty much close to an untempered with work. And so much of this was me watching going like, wow, what would this show have been outside of previews? Like following a preview process, I I, I was kept watching and just being like, what well, we should say in survive. case the audience isn't familiar, a show, the famous line musicals are more rewritten than they are written, and through the preview process and through going from Broadway off Broadway to Broadway, if it transfers, shows get rewritten, songs get thrown out, things get clarified, uh, structures are looked at, and quite frankly, I think the show would be extremely different had Jonathan Larson lived to actually see the show through. As far as the actual material, what you are seeing is a show that finished the rehearsal process and never was put in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. A a real audience, at least. I mean, there were some workshops, but those are invited. They're They're not civilians, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yes, he did rewrite over the workshop process, but until you get something up on its feet in front of an audience, you really don't know. And certain things become very apparent, and certain things get rewritten, and certain things get cut, and this musical never had that chance. I don't think anyone could argue that this is a bad piece of musical theater that this is like a crappy work this is this is strong work it's just so unfinished i think what's apparent is there's a bevy of inherent talent on display Uh uh-huh and it's promising is it finished no it doesn't even i just gotta get into it now I, I, i gotta get into it now I think everyone goes through a period of life where they hate rent, and I am in that period of my life mm-hmm. where it just, um, I loved the show as a teen, and there's part of me that will always love the show, but I sat there today like, I don't care about these people. They are privileged brats, hmm. and I just don't fucking care. It's 1989, and he can afford AZT, and the parents are constantly calling? The parents are trying to take an interest in these kids' lives? Answer the fucking phone. I knew it was going to be a very different experience. Uh, Hungry and frozen, some life that we've chosen. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's the key word. You chose it. Yeah. All of this, you chose for yourself. You can be out of this if you wanted. People very much like to talk about the fact that these characters are annoying and privileged and like generally bad which is true and right and correct i would say almost all if not all of the characters in rent are fucking annoying and bad people that being said so many people i find use this as like a disqualifier of rent to say like 
this musical fucking sucks because all these people are whining about this kind of thing and you're sitting there like, oh, wow. It's not... It's not I, 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 I have trouble wrapping my head around the notion that this is like a fault of Larson's explicitly. Like from the perspective of like Jonathan Larson wrote all these annoying characters and he expects us to sympathize with him and he's like... And I'm kind of like, I mean, he also wrote the homeless woman into the show. He he also wrote, "Hey, Mister, got a dollar?" Yeah, that's what I thought. That's two lines, though. That's not much. I, I mean, she's it, in it, the show for about thirty seconds. True, true, and it's to that, not... genuinely, I, that's that's another thing where I'm sitting here wondering. I wonder if someone would have pointed that out to be clarified throughout the preview yeah, process, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's clarify... something that would have been pointed out. I think so, but like at the same time, the fact that it exists in the first place, the fact that he had the thought to like call these characters out for exactly the thing that the critics of that have been calling the show out for, it's like clearly there's a cognizance of that. Clearly, Jonathan Larson is very aware of how his characters are coming off. There's intent there. I I feel. You know, what broke this spell for me with mm. Rent. Through a series of random occurrences, I saw the Broadway revival of Angels in America, and a literal week later, I was at the non most recent non-equity tour of Rent. <sighs> exactly a week apart. Uh-huh. And you sit through Angels in America... And eight hours of Tony Kushner analyzing these power structures and what failings happened around the AIDS crisis and the real human beings at the center of this and how it affected us all, regardless of politics, regardless of personal beliefs. Everyone was affected by this, and this was an entire moral failing of the society. And Pryor goes and he wrestles with the angel. He gets the angel down. He enters heaven, and he goes to the uh, Council of Principalities and he says, you will bless me with more life. It is irrational. I do not know why I want it, but you will give me more life. And it was a bunch of people fighting to get through the day. And a week later, I was sitting at rent and I was hearing Mimi saying, I'd be happy to die for a taste of what Angel had. And I thought, that's fucking insulting. Hmm. It's insulting. Mm. And it's not like I'm not offended by it. I'm not outraged. But I sat there like, I don't know if he saw Angels in America, but the reason this show was such a cultural phenomenon is in part because it centered two heterosexuals in a story about AIDS there's nothing specifically wrong about wrong with that but also the gay characters angel isn't a real human being angel is a symbol angel is angel a symbol angel kind of is a very much a manic pixie dream girl it, not, not a human being complete symbol and just so you're 100% sure that this isn't a real human being she enters the stage dressed up like fucking santa claus and and in act two is pussy galore another fictional character um 
So it took the I AIDS mean, crisis and it presented it in a way that was palatable for straight people. And they didn't really have to have that much empathy for gay people actually living their realities. They did not have to face any of their own failings in dealing with the crisis and the politicians they were electing. The, there is no political material. Larson name checks act up and yet puts Angel in the most um, milk toast talk therapy group sessions that have no political arm which I think is a little unusual for the time seem to have no political arm seem to have no agenda and that happens but the entirety of activism is act up fight aids and if you don't know what act up is it's just a couple of random words that are thrown in there and this is not a refutation on larson and what he did i just when you look at why some of these musicals go mainstream i think the same thing is true of hamilton they have created a musical theater for heterosexuals yeah, that's a that's a I I can't disagree with you there. It is very much a case of palatability for a white heterosexual audience. I I do think that's hugely owed to the show's success. And then there's also, you know, the element of you know, the tragedy. Gay tragedy, the gay tragedy, the sort of like, you know, killing off the, the gay non-cis character in order to go oh using their life sort of as like a device to garner empathy. Um, there are weird ramifications of that. Uh, ooh, and ooh. truthfully, that's a conversation I'd like to have with a queer person, especially a queer non-cis person to like, you know, understand what the, how they feel about that character's overall arc in the story, how they feel about it. You know what I mean? That becomes such a different conversation because you have to understand what language was used at the day, what mm -hmm. terms would have been understood, what would have been understood by normal culture, and what wouldn't have. And is Angel trans? I really don't know. I, I don't think there's anything that explicitly defines Angel's gender identity in the musical itself. Though I will say it is very akin to our, you know, sort of contemporary understanding of gender nonconformity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beyond just Angel's identity as a drag queen. Yeah, I don't know. I, I It's... Rent in the modern day is a very interesting conversation. Rent 25 years out, right? Well, like, I, but also talking about, you mentioned the tragedy inherent and that's part of the reason it was popular well, the, the tragedy inherent of Jonathan Larson dying I don't think that oh, can be understated yeah. I mean I, I, I guess I'll be frank though I can't imagine this isn't like communally understood jo if God willing Jonathan Larson could have been alive to see his work go on Rent could not have made it to Broadway Rent could not have earned a movie Rent would not have won a fucking Pulitzer, like... It's too sloppy. It's not as, untalented. As it, as it today, at least. 
it's not untalented. It shows a great deal of promise, but it's too sloppy. As it currently exists, I will stress. As it currently exists. Who knows? They might have turned Rent into something that would have made it to Broadway. Like, that's possible. But I cannot see Jonathan Larson as a writer winning a Pulitzer Prize. For Rent, at least. For Rent, at least. It's just, like, like this is an after-effect of his extremely unfortunate passing which is like a lot to take in you know like the success of this musical the effects that this has had in our cultural diaspora pretty much only happened because of that tragedy what would musical theater look like if jonathan larson lived that's a fucked up question to be asking there would have been other shows there might have been even better shows who knows perhaps but would the kicking in the pants that culture got from Rent have happened? I think eventually it... from him. Elsewhere. Y- you think from him? Yeah. Well, because look at Superbia, or what we know about Superbia. It was the same type of... Not the same type of. It was more techno, but it was rock music and he was making musical theater for an mtv generation he would have tried a different story but he would have kept at that Mm -hmm. i think that's part of his authorial voice and something would have broken through all that to say what a fucking moment in history this musical making it this far was Mm -hmm. and i guess let's like talk about the actual gritty material itself like like, let's let's get down to nuts and bolts it's essentially sung through sure there's maybe 10 percent of a book here Mm -hmm. and overall jonathan larson is like a really talented composer Mm -hmm. really talented uh it's not just in his ability to be tuneful it's not just in his ability to be memorable and to create like an engaging score but there are some nuggets of really, really smart work there and some really, really touching stuff. The emotional core of his work, I find, is what makes him so uniquely interesting, you know? He is able to touch into a very profound feeling of detachment while also like embedding his scores with a really, really earnest... I guess, love for living the life you have, you know? Jonathan Larson was, like, a very big romanticizer of life, and this might be, like, a detriment of Rent, but so much of this musical is really just glorifying living in the shitty dregs, which, to some extent, he he lived in, and which also, to some extent, was a choice of his, but, you know, there there is something beautiful about seeing the shitty life you live as the most glorious thing to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you, how, what, what bottles up Jonathan Larson as a composer? What, how, how do you, he writes big songs what? of the land. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's well what it comes down to. He writes big songs that land and it's, it stopped happening somewhere. Um, the musical became more integrated and you mm-hmm. started getting little songlets and dialogue interrupted and this and that. And it, 
it didn't get any better or worse. It just became different. And the style of taking the time to boom, here's a song. And it's big emotion and it lands and it's open with having its emotions. Kind of fell out of style, I think is still kind of out of style. <laughs> Even look at like something like Hades Town as great as I think that show is and that score is. Even the big moments are not big emotional songs. Yeah. They're just big I I mean they're the like, one they're, like they're celebrations, but like Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the one song you're thinking about those lights going over the audience. Uh, the other one, the big emotional moment is not Reeve Carney singing, it's Patrick Page reacting to Reeve Carney singing. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um Yeah, interesting. And I do think there is some level of earnestness that you have to take on to write those types of songs that I think, quite frankly, a lot of people are scared of showing. Mm. It's a very vulnerable place to be earnest. Yeah. And I mean, it's a collection of great songs. And I mean, great songs yeah the title number is in my mind one of the most exciting musical theater songs that has ever been written like it is like i every time that song comes on i want to break into a fucking sprint i it's just it is so euphoric so cathartic it's it's huge. It's big. It's this explosion of like rage and passion and anger. There's a lot of anger in the score. A lot. Oh, sure. And I mean, what were the original lyrics of Rent? If I blow my mind, brains out, or oh, something yeah. like that. It, it was. It was all about this like is the about how, they, how gruesomely they wanted to yeah. kill themselves. Yeah, this is the tamer version of Rent. <laughs> I forgot about that completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the title number. You have La Vie Bohème, which is, again, this just, like, big explosion of in-your-face energy. Take Me or Leave Me, which is, like, the favorite battle song in all of musical theater, really. Um, uh, this is this is the difference between you and I. You're immediately going for the most bombastic songs. I'm immediately thinking about Without You. I'm immediately thinking about oh. Seasons of Love. Um, uh, I'll cover you reprise. Sure. A I'm a Goodbye Love fan. I like Goodbye, goodbye Love. Goodbye Love, yeah. That's a great... Um, the, there's a lot of great songs. Yeah. Roger, this is your mother. Okay, that's not one of them. But there are a lot of... I genuinely... I was surprised by how compelling I found that moment. This time watching. I think because truthfully... No, actually, I, that one, you're talking about the... Um, they're all layering in. Yeah. Singing their Call life. your mother. Mimi Chita. Yeah. Mark, are you there? Are you there? Are you screening your calls? Are you there? Are you there? Yeah. No, that's I, a great... That is a great moment, but it's not something I would go to immediately thinking about. Oh, the great songs from Rent. <laughs> well, fair. That's fair. You, you you brought up Without You, mm-hmm. which something that I admired this time around was that beyond the fact that, like, wow, great musical theater song, 
great fucking song. Yeah. Like that's a yeah. really solid like like that honestly could have been a chart topper. Mhm. I was so carried away with that. And that's again showcasing that his strength was not just like, you know, he wasn't just good at being bombastic or big or exciting or grand or whatever. He was so passionate. He was so emotional. He he had such a fucking heart. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a I lot think, of variety. Yeah, a lot of variety and a lot of sincerity. And I think that's why people have latched on to him so much. I think because they see so much good in him. Not just so much good in his art, but like I think you see something good about Larson through Rent. Looking past the really shitty characters and the, you know, straight cis white guy writing a musical about a period of queer turmoil. You see how, like, big his heart was, how passionate he was, how deep that ran, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Again, truthfully, this would have been a different and far fucking better show would this had gone through previews. But... Like, I don't know. As it exists today, I don't find it like a bad piece of musical theater. So unfinished. But I think... Like... Well, I, I think, personally, since it is unfinished, you have to look at the potential. And the potential yeah. is endless. Yes. It's hard not to project when, like, watching this show. But, like, it's kind of good to. I mean, we could sit here and break apart all of the little book details. A lot of people talk about how Act 1 takes place over a night, and then there's an entire year that takes up. That's baked into La Boheme. True. That's baked into La Boheme because... You're absolutely right. You have... They meet each other, and that's an entire act. There's five acts in the La Boheme opera. Um, the second act is still the same night. <laughs> so you yeah. check in with them at three other time points, but most of the show, not most of the show, but the most continuous part of the show is given to that first night that they're all together. Kind of just inherent to the, it's not so much a rent problem as it is a source material thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In any case, uh, do you think the legacy of the show is deserved? It's a really hard question to ask because in doing so, you're also reconciling. Like, It's kind of a question of like... The legacy is deserved and they are also killing this show off as much as possible. Hmm. I think the best possible thing that could happen for Rent right now is someone who did love the show at one point and still wants to love the show... They need to fucking disappear for a decade. Fall off the face of the earth. Mm. Because there's never been a time it wasn't running. I mean, it closed on Broadway. And what, a year later, two years later, it was back off Broadway? It was like three years after. It was like 2008 to 2011, which Mm -hmm. is an extremely short turnaround. And also during the Broadway run, you had the movie. Then there's the TV thing. And, mm, I, I mean, oh it, it not even between Broadway and the off-Broadway, there was the p- production I saw, which was the 
final tour, which had <laughs> the farewell tour, the farewell tour that had Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal in their original roles, and it was a fantastic time, one of the best nights I've had in my life in the theater. But yeah, I mean, you're saying 2000, the farewell tour ran until late 2010, and then 2011, it's back off Broadway, and they've been running. I don't know if the non-equity tour is still running, but that was supposed to be, I think, a 25th anniversary tour and then they started marketing it as the 30th yeah i remember that I, I, am i it, it, like it's no, it, like 20th and off, 25th no it, yeah it started off as a 20th anniversary tour it ran for like 2016 2017 and then like restarted just after the pandemic as like hey it's the 25th anniversary and it's the same but it was the same production and then they started marketing at it as hey this is the last chance you'll ever get to see the michael greif production and no one believes that at this point i do i, I mean, find it hard to believe i find it hard to believe it, it's just it, it's never gone away and it is at you know, the same thing happened with company you have a period of time with a musical where you are dated because there's mm-hmm. a bunch of cultural references no one can relate to, but not enough time has passed for you to be a period piece. And we are also in a moment, I mean, we lightly touched on it, but Angel's gender identity. Yeah. We don't know what that is, and because we are still defining things for ourselves, we are trying to figure that out, and I think in another ten years, when things have settled down hopefully hopefully i have to remain hopeful um when things have settled down and society has become more accepting we can then look back to the 1990s and accept what jonathan larson was able to do with vocabulary he had yeah but like right now we are not right now is not the time um there, I think, will be a more wholesale acceptance once the show has had a chance to rest, and we can all rediscover it together. Yes, that is a huge thing. We have not had the chance to rediscover this musical. No, we're still been... operating off the same understanding of this musical that has existed for twenty-five years now, and the same production. I mean, that non-equity production is the original production. Yep. A poor facsimile, but it is the original production. It, it it needs to, and I don't mean this. I mean this because I love the show. It needs to go away for, for a, bit. a bit. It needs it needs to like step down. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. It's not even a step down thing, but it just we need to miss it, That's and exactly it. there's never been that chance. On the production, though, now that, now that we're, like, touching upon it, mm-hmm. what a fucking incredible production of a musical. I, I've said it before, and I will say it now, and this is the first place I really noticed it. He has a way of just placing people on stage to maximum effect. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. even, like, dance or anything. He just has a way of arranging people, and it's the whole layering in of will I will I lose my dignity will someone care um they add in they add in they add in and then Roger gets up and he leaves the house house apartment shack whatever you want to call it (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's such an effective moment and he, he just he has an eye 
really he has an eye for negative space yeah he has an eye for negative space he knows where he's putting people but more than that he knows exactly where he's not putting people and that was something in next to normal where gabe finally um not finally but she has the ect and gabe disappears from her memory and you couldn't really put your finger on what was wrong with the stage picture but you realize for the first time he's not on stage he had been on stage the entire show now he's not on stage um and you think about the final moment in rent you don't know that you're waiting for angel to show up but you're waiting for the actor who plays angel to show up yeah yeah they're standing there and you're like this is the entire company and you're looking at it there's one person missing and in this performance angel comes out and the audience applauds they always do they always do yeah be obviously because that's the missing piece <clears throat> of the puzzle and you get an audience to come to that conclusion themselves mm -hmm. it's cool as shit um i don't know if you've seen i'm sure you've watched it there's this documentary that they made about the west end production of of rent the original west not. end production uh it's great it's on youtube it's like 45 minutes long um they transferred rent to the west end they brought back four of the original cast uh, they they brought back a couple members of the original company, uh, but they transferred it to London, and there's like footage of the rehearsal room, and they sort of show without you in its rehearsal process, and you see it completely bare, and you look at it, and you're like, yeah, the blocking in this, you teach in four minutes. This is four minutes worth of actual movement of actors. Like, you teach this in like no time because Michael Greif understands like the importance of rent is like the truth of rent. If you were to overstage or overblock this show, you take away from the characters, you take away from the performances and like rent blossoms when these performers are just loose, are just like given the space and told to make their own with it. it. It's really what makes or breaks rent. If you give someone that space and if they're able to utilize it. You know? Mm -hmm. Because it, it truly, rent is one of the most you either got it or you ain't shows in existence. If you have it in you to be in rent, then you just have it in you. If not, you're going to look like you're going to look like a fucking joke. And Greif knows that that's the way to make the show excel. And that's exactly what that original cast needed too. Just the opportunity to just hold space and to hold space in the way that they hold space you know <clears throat> i saw the um farewell tour mm -hmm. and i think it was one of the first times i was really aware of a director's contribution hmm. and i said the one moment but the other moment it was one song glory i don't even know why but it was just um he had a light that was projected onto him from the front and it created a huge shadow of him in the back massive shadow in the back and you realized oh he's a shell of his former self <laughs> really just smart and I don't even know if that was the lighting designer but I thought it was the director and again use of negative space I think Michael Greif is an excellent director of musicals 
we we I, we talked about in Dear Evan Hansen that he's like the person who maybe understood that show the best out of anyone, even the writers, mm-hmm. and more so than just understood the show, understood what the show had to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you um, look at Grey Gardens and the performances he got there. Yeah. Yeah, you look at the performances he got, he got in Grey Gardens. You look at Next to Normal, the performances he got there, and shepherding that musical to good health, and that was a real shepherd ship. Um, <laughs> but War Paint, this taste that was on display in War Paint, and the fact that a director can be capable of both Grey Gardens and Rent, it, it it's a mark of a of, of genius, frankly. Um, it's just a complete understanding of the theatrical form a complete understanding of the dramatic a complete understanding of musical theater and a complete understanding of how to operate a company mm-hmm. Michael Greif really is like one of the leading artistic geniuses in musical theater yeah this it, it's, a, it's a really excellent essentially flawless production of a musical well, and you want to talk about the moment John- Jonathan Larson died to Brent becoming this uh-huh. cultural icon. He had to rally a cast. He had yeah. to rally a cast and he had to oh finish off God. the show. He had to, yeah. You know, it's one thing to, in the face of completely losing the actual mouthpiece of a work and to become like... The sort of stepfather of the musical, really. You I have to shepherd this cast. Yeah, you, we cast a bunch of people who <laughs> were making their debuts, who don't have a ton of experience. Um, they In all became cases, friends, personal friends with the writer. The writer is now gone. I have no writer to fix this show, so I have to pull all these pieces together and make it the best possible thing that we can. I have to organize all of these performers, some of whom have nothing to do with musical theater at all, and I have to shepherd them through the success of this musical. And of course, they were all, like, you know, bonded under the legacy of him, under the remembrance of him, but, like, to assume that responsibility is such a huge fucking feat. And... For that alone, Michael Greif is, like, so aggressively underrated for his contribution to this musical. The fact that he became the presumptive shepherd of this show, that is an insane undertaking, and all in a Broadway debut. Mm -hmm. Broadway directorial debut, but yeah, 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 you get it. Um, Mm -hmm. Just insane. Insane. Um more about this production this the design has become just extremely iconic in every sense of the word you mentioned there was a fucking clothing line out of this costume design Mm -hmm. uh this like scaffolding thing has they had no budget for the costumes (laughs) they had no budget (laughs) they literally yeah i think some of the cast members brought in their own clothes that makes sense yeah like the costumes have become iconic you know what a mark cohen scarf looks like Mm -hmm. uh the lighting design so stark and so poignant the set design inspiring inspiring uh, generations of scaffolding in broadway to come yeah uh 
Um, <laughs> That's the real. You want to know what is the most influential? The open use of scaffolding. <laughs> yeah. Direct pipeline from Rent to the Lightning Thief. Right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get that reference. Because I'm hip. Because you've seen the lightning thief truly so many times yeah i have seen the lightning thief so many times <laughs> oh, fucking god uh-huh 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 good kid uh good kid oh wow oh wow yeah no this is just like the most off-broadway production of a musical just like, like I don't know. Uh, how it could. Oh, no, 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 no. The Fantastics is the most off-Broadway production okay, fair, of a musical. Fair, fair, fair. I think that's also that design has to be a you know, huge factor into his legacy. That like, it, it, because it just feels like the scrappy little show that could. It looks like they oh, cobbled it together the night before. It also came out of New York Theater Workshop. You walk into New York Theater Workshop, which I did recently for the first time. I, I looked around. And I was like, okay, Rent makes more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have room to put anything uh, I get it <laughs> Yeah They just They just brought Fucking construction zone in And just mm-hmm. Called it a day Yeah <laughs> And like The scaffolding was probably Left over from building renovations That were happening next door <laughs> They decided Yeah this is our set <laughs> It was there when they got in uh-huh. Jonathan Larson was like I love it Grant was like Uh let me Great. rearrange a couple of these pieces Great. first. Let me and then be we'll back do in it. a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's like whole set models waiting in the other room. Chuck them, throw them out. We're good. We good. It's so crummy. It's so scrappy. It's so slapped together. It's so brilliant. It's so genius. Well, you it have this feels like junkyard vibrant. Christmas tree. It's it's just fucking. It's it's garbage gloriousness. It feels vibrant. The production. Because it, it feels because it feels authentic. Because it feels like there's no artifice. It feels like there's no presumptiveness. There's no pretension. There's no nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just it feels like they scraped together the absolute bare minimum needed to put this musical on, and then all the focus is just on the performance. It's just on the delivering of this material. Mm-hmm. That's the effect you get. There's nothing to distract you. It's just you're just getting full blast energy. Huge fucking boon for this show. Huge. It, it lets the material shine. It lets the performances shine. It is inventive. It's scrappy. It's vibrant. It works. Each element complements the other. You can feel the show coming together in front of you. Mm-hmm. And again, I, it's like that. You, you you're getting that full blast energy. You're just letting the cast thrust the show upon you don't read into that which you're (laughs) double-edged sword because at this point the show is so established and you know so much what to expect you're no longer watching the show come together in front of you you're watching people perform the act of being in rent this cast is just the most thrilling fucking energetic expression of this show that has ever been like beyond the fact that they went into this casting not specifically for musical theater performers just like who had the right exact energy for the show beyond that you have this group of people who are all unified by the life of jonathan larson and they're all here to pay tribute to him to dedicate this man's work to him to let his legacy live on 
And that is, like, what's propelling them. Truthfully, that's why Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal were performing Rent until fucking 2010. That's why they still perform these songs whenever prompted, whenever given the opportunity to do so. It's a devotion to him, and they're all bolstered by that. It's palpable. Mm-hmm. Start with Freddie Walker. Freddie Walker. Freddie Walker is, like, the perfect foil for Adina Menzel. Yeah. Where Adina is messy and seemingly improvised, Freddie Walker has a plan for every second she is on that stage. She knows Mm -hmm. exactly what she's doing. And you see why these two people are in a relationship. Because they are polar opposites and they think they need something the other person has. But you also see why it's not working because they're polar opposites. Yes. It you can't be the same, is, but you can't be that far apart. <laughs> it is so far and away the most polished performance on that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, which is exactly right. And it's kind of nice to have like a little grounding presence throughout the musical, right? When there's so much just raw emotion, raw identity. It's nice to have something a bit more, you know, polished, I guess. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to Tay Diggs. We had a fight. Not a fight. You and Tay Diggs? No, 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 no. You and I. Oh, yeah. Watching this about the character of Benny in general. Yep. We argue. We, we disagree about the extent of Benny's humanity. I said, look, by the end of the show, like, he's not a great person. But none of these people are great people. Yes. By the end of the show, he has paid for Mimi's rehab. He has paid for Angel's burial, and he's gone back to his wife. What is so wrong about this guy? He does that all in one scene at the absolute end of the show. Uh, No. First of all. No. He goes back to the wife in the very final scene, so we hear. Um, The the paying for Mimi's rehab and the... Uh, funeral that's earlier on and at the beginning of the show like he's saying you haven't paid me rent for a year i will let that slide but i have to make money somewhere get your friend out of the performing lot space because i am middle management and i have to answer to hire up people yeah sure that's like the societal fucking like, outside of calling some guy a bum and telling him to get his ass off the Range Rover, I don't totally get what's so completely terrible about, well, beginning of Act 2 and him pitting Mimi and Roger, okay, he's no angel, but he's, literally, um, but he's not the monster everyone makes him out to be. The beginning of Act 2, there's this whole moment where he hands someone what was it like keys or a check or something like that and then it's this gesture of goodwill and rod and mark goes oh my camera didn't have any juice in it and so he takes it back and goes oh okay let's get it again a free year of rent in manhattan i'll put on fucking tap shoes roll it again roll it again but it's it's publicity. It's it's literally a fucking marketing ploy. It and there's I'm happy no to actual be a intention ploy. of being like sure, great for you. It speaks to him. It speaks more to him than it does to them. The fact that he is 
fucking doing this specifically for the appearance of being generous, of being kind. There's no actual intention. He's, aside from the last scene where he starts to regain some humanity in light of, like, hey, people are fucking dying in front of you, um, he tries to buy out his friends. He tries to buy out his friends' comfort for his own capitalistic gain. Um, it's objectively the case. Tries to buy out his friends or wants them to have a better life. And okay, he would also have a capitalistic gain. I don't think it's an either or. I I don't think the, like... I'm not arguing that he's a great person by any I don't, means. I, I don't think, like, the creeping finger of, like, yes, adhere to capitalism is, like, all that fucking noble of a want for your friends. <sighs> Wanting them I don't know. to I have don't fuck with them. electricity I don't fuck with anyone, but I don't and maybe an oven. I don't think that's necessarily... <laughs> They have a stove, okay? They, they have a hot it plate. At the beginning of the musical, they have a hot plate. They they have a stove and an and a hot plate. What more could you okay, fucking want? Well, having electricity that works consistently, having heat. The music ignites the night with passionate fire. Anyway, Tay Diggs though, <laughs> strong performer. He's pretty fucking great. Sexy. Um, sure. Um. Benny is a pretty thankless role, mm-hmm. but like he really, really holds his own. He's a way more polished performer than you expect anyone to be in this, and the like heart that he expresses at the very end, I was actually rather touched by. Mm-hmm. I, I I was surprised to see that shred of humanity from him. I I was really pleased by it. I want to see him in Wicked. I want to see that Fiero. Speaking of Tom Collins, Jesse L. Martin. Jesse L. Martin is like coolness personified in this show. I didn't even know he was a musical theater actor for a while. I knew him as like a television actor. Oh Jesus, you, you people, you, I, I don't get you. I don't get you. For a while in my youth, in my youth, all these people. Oh, I didn't know he did musicals. He started out with this. I remember when he went on to the. Lauren yeah, and Order. so did Mandy Patinkin, but everyone knows him from Homeland. Oh, I will not accept that. I will not accept that. You need well, to sorry, know Princess Mandy... Bride. Princess Bride. My bad. My you bad. My need bad. to know Mandy Patinkin from his good things like Sunday in the Park with George and Yentl. No, no. The one time you insist on not bringing up the knife in an episode of oh. our podcast, you scratched the surface like a knife and showed me shadows of my life. Is that truly the only lyric you know? Yes, because the audio wasn't the cleanest. <laughs> uh, Jesse L. Martin, I'll Cover You is one of the most emotional moments in musical theater. Um, the way he just wails on that is devastating. What a vocalist. What a, like, a rich, rich, strong, booming voice. And he can act, too. He can fucking act. Well, I would hope so. They don't just put anybody on Law & Order. <laughs> Might be the most incorrect thing you've ever said. <laughs> they quite literally, as a means of operation, put anybody on Law & Order. <laughs> it's a really strong performance. He has so much depth, so much heart, so much warmth. He's so lovable. It's a great performance. And then you have his foil. Tony Award winner, Wilson Jermaine Heredia. Heredia? Here. Dia. Nope. Um, 
he was he the only Tony Award winner for a performer for the show? The only Tony winner for this, only Tony winning uh, actor performer for this show. This sure. And he's very good. He won the Tony for being the puppy that gets killed. You know. Unfortunately. Um, but he he's very good. Good vocals. And pretty unapologetic, which that's good. That's needed. He he truly feels like he is out on that stage living his most real life. He just fills the room. He just explodes this, like, joy and passion for life all around, and it's very heartwarming to see. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, You know who was who else was nominated for a Tony? Yeah. Adam fucking Pascal. Oh, we're going there next? I'm not. I'm saving her for last, obviously. Oh, okay. I know you. I know you. Okay. I know you well enough. Okay. Um, um, Adam Pascal. Has there ever, ever, in the history of recent Broadway, been a performer who just happened onto Broadway without even an inkling of desire to do so? Just like... Well, tell the story in case they don't know it in a couple seconds. Adam Pascal is not an actor at all. He was, like, hit up by, I think, Idina Menzel, who said, like, hey, you should audition for this show. And he's like, I'm good. And then she's like, nah, do it. He was like, all right. Yeah, he was and, rocker playing club dates. Yeah, he's just an actual rock musician. He, he was performing. He was jumping from band to band to band. He went in for this thing. He sang some, like, I think, U2 song got the part and was like all right truly not even not even almost an actor just an actual rock musician here playing a character you got a fucking tony award nomination like what's up anyway you encapsulated this performance very well he's the this specific performance that we watched in this video is the only actual embodiment of rock that's really ever been in musical theater on Broadway, yeah. and I mean that in the whole not giving a fuck and the lawlessness attitude that goes in rock music. Mm-hmm. We've never, I mean, there are some people that are able to stylistically sing rock. There are people that are great in rock musicals. We've never been able to capture that not giving a fuck attitude, and he does it here. And the interesting thing there is, by the time he got to Aida that was lost and he's out there and you can tell there are some rough moments in this video not rough but um peculiarities and you can tell he doesn't know how to modulate his performance to make it through eight shows a week consistently he doesn't really totally completely understand what he's doing every second he's on that stage he's just going off of adrenaline and this is early previews, too, so it's not like he's mm-hmm. been tired out by the show at this point. This is like he's still pretty fresh into this thing. We're, we're seeing, like, the very beginning of, like, starting to lose that steam a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone, like, it happens to every performer at the very beginning. It's sort of like you go in, guns a-blazing, and then you sort of lose the steam after overextending yourself, and then you got to figure out how to find that healthy middle. And so we're seeing, like... The end, like the the beginning of the downward of the peak, right? But like to that, God, 
rock performance for fucking sure. What a mm. goddamn vocalist. Holy yeah. shit. Oh, yeah. No, it's... there were several moments I was like, wow. And I made, I, I have every second of that cast album memorized. But mm-hmm. here, he, hearing the thrust of the voice live, mm-hmm. it's different. A- and Adam Pascal is the sole member of the OBC of Rent that I have ever seen live. He did a concert. Oh, really? He did a concert at 54 Below that I caught. Mm. Um, I've and seen I several. Was... Yeah, well, good for you. Um, he was like a couple feet away. It was him and a microphone and a guitar and a loop pedal. And he just told stories and sang songs. And it so truly felt like I was just hanging out in Adam Pascal's living room. He He doesn't know how to be a professional as it were you know he just is adam pascal the rock star adam pascal the guy for better or for worse but like it is truly incredible to see just like the absolute purest embodiment of rock music in a dramatic theatrical setting and then you got his pal anthony rapp the thing that like made him he was a child actor which i actually oh. didn't know until like really recently but, he was you a know. child actor there's the famous story of him and king and i and mm-hmm. he's the little kid in king and i and <laughs> yule brenner of course who else is playing the king on this king and i tour and mm-hmm. it's the final scene and yule brenner's on his deathbed and he comes running out mother the boat has arrived we must go or whatever the line is and he runs on stage mother the bitch has arrived we must go and Yul Brenner just turns to him and says louder (laughs) in the middle of the show (laughs) first time he was on louder (laughs) not loud enough for me the audience needs to hear you (laughs) Anthony Rapp is you know the main character of this show arguably the sort of Jonathan Larson mouthpiece the self-insert character and it you gotta cut the performers some slack you know the character's pretty insufferable but oh i thought he was incredible the anthony rapp was incredibly likable absolutely like the fact that you can spend enough time with a character written like that is genuinely a testament to just the how do you put it it's like he just has this actual unbridled passion mm-hmm. the, through the character of Mark. His, his performance of Mark lets the character express such an unbridled passion that you're like, okay, yeah, like I guess I get why this is a choice for you. I guess I get like why this is the way you choose to operate your life. I've seen some clips of like Neil Patrick Harris in this role. All I'm saying is it's very easy to have a Mark that just goes, oh, okay, your objective in life is to be as insufferable to as many people as possible. I gotcha. Not so much That the was case backstage here. footage, okay? That wasn't even... <laughs> Talk about his actual I performance. That. I walked into that. I walked uh-huh. into that. <laughs> um, no, but truly, it's... Mark loves living la vie bohème. Just the performance of that number is like one of the most iconic moments in musical theater. His body contorting in that fucking way. It's an excellent performance. Fun story. We mm-hmm. were walking into Rent, the farewell tour, 
And it opened in Cleveland. The tour opened in Cleveland. And, oh, um, wow. So I'm they, sure all the rent heads flew out. Yes, yes. Um, we go in for our performance, and after we were sitting down, my dad said, well, did you notice him? Notice who? What are you talking about? He said Anthony Rapp was standing at the side of the theater watching everyone come in, and I looked over at him, and he put his finger over his mouth, shh, as in, don't tell anybody I'm here. I'm just going to watch everyone come in. Whoa. Uh-huh. Oh. He didn't want to oh, be mobbed. Man. He just wanted to watch no, the audience course. come in and be excited. Oh, wow. He's currently, uh, he's he's doing this uh, off-Broadway show now, right? Without you? Oh, that's his one-man show about, um, I think his mother died while he was in right. Yeah. It's like the losing Jonathan Larson and then also losing his mother and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. That hasn't started. That's in January. Oh, is it? Okay. It's coming up. New World Stages. Go catch it. All right. You've got two more. And truly, this next person is like the star of the Rent cast. Like, this is the person who has gone on to, like, dominate musical theater. Idina Menzel. Dominate musical theater. I mean, she doesn't Idina accept anything. A... They offered her into the woods. She turned it down. They offered her next to normal. She turned it down. She turns down, turns down, turns down. She's supposed to do Funny Girl. She turns it down. She has to actually show up to some fucking musicals to be called the queen of musical theater. And that is me being a huge fan of her. Well, she hasn't been. Where do you go from there? She hasn't been. I mean, listen. Missing in action, Joshy. Her, 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 Missing her voice, in action. Her voice was famously destroyed by that inconsiderate goblin Stephen Schwartz. Um, the, the, the voice has been restored. The voice has been restored. Oh, has it? She's, um, she's much better shape than she once was. There is no reason that she has been so missing in action. But I, I don't think I've ever heard such, like, a str- I, I don't think I've heard such a strong performance from Medina Menzel. This is just you, you, like you listen to this and you get oh, t- like, oh yeah, this is legendary stuff. I texted you. It was a moment and take me or leave me. And I texted you that I was fucking pissed as hell because she sounded terrific. Yeah. And like, where the fuck has she been? Um, yeah, you text me during that too. So like, she's she needs to show the fuck up. What is so great about Adina Menzel here? She seems completely spontaneous. She seems kooky. She seems like an oddball. And. Much like Adam Pascal lost the complete rock energy, she's never been as kooky since. Mm-hmm. And kooky in the best sense of the word. Um, she was supposed to do Funny Girl recently. I don't know if she would have been a good Fanny Bryce at th- that point in her life. Right after Rent, she would have been yeah. perfect. Yes. Right after Rent, she would have been perfect. Um, we, we, we talked about this for a moment, uh, over the moon. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. People go so wrong with that number and the they way have I've... to almost wink at the audience out of character. Like, I know this is bad material. Don't think that that's me, the actor. I know that this is funny. Ha ha ha. Yeah. People keep playing Maureen like a cap. They keep playing the character as a capital P performance, mm-hmm. right? Like they keep like like they are performing so much that there's no room to 
to like let the audience pick it up on their own. Mm-hmm. What makes Over the Moon such a hilarious song is the blind fucking confidence that Maureen has to have going into this, that this is just going to be the most wonderful thing anyone's ever interpreted. This horrible, horrible fucking piece of shit just has like the blind confidence that like, this is going to be incredible. And it, Dina does that so well. Well, and she makes you question, is this actually good? Does this, I mean, I like her and like, I guess I can make that logical leap with her, but am I making this next logical leap? Where are the parameters here? You're constantly guessing. Like to an extent you're kind of watching going, yeah, I like moo. Yeah. I get like moo, Moo. like moo, moo. Uh huh. Just no one has ever been able to come close there. Yeah. I could talk about every single number in the show to that great detail, but truthfully, it's just, that is what encapsulates what makes this performance so incredible. Mm -hmm. So, now comes the time for me to finally dispel this fucking curse the podcast has had. No, no, you, 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 no, you've been cursed. You cursed us. No, it's not, I'm saying that the curse is bullshit. The damage is done. I'm saying, I'm saying there is no curse. I'm saying there is no curse. You believe that I have some fucking vendetta against Daphne you do. Ruben Vega. You, you do. Because I pick one fucking performance of the Rocky Horror Show that she's not in, and you don't do the adequate research to determine that ahead of time. This is not indicative of my adoration you of Daphne Ruben Vega. Okay, well, you know what? You can backpedal all you want, but the audience knows what you really think. No, they don't, because we haven't started yet. This is our first time covering Daphne Ruben Vega on the podcast. <laughs> Shouldn't be. I agree. Yeah, well, we just you don't have empanada loca. We don't have a fucking recording of empanada loca to go off. So this is it. Empanada loca was a podcast. What do you mean we don't have a recording to go off of? Or to do a fucking podcast? Are are you opening the door for fucking thirty six questions, thirty eight questions, thirty thirty something questions? I need to see Jonathan Groff. I can't just listen. Anyway, Daphne Rubin Vega. Go ahead, backpedal. I mean, it's a get on it's the an bike performance. It's get a, on the bike. <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, it's an excellent fucking performance. It is. It transcends musical theater skill. It's just. I don't know. It's more than human. That's the way I can phrase it. It's more than human. She sings marvelously. She moves marvelously. She carries emotional moments fucking incredibly. Goodbye, love. Holy shit. An astoundingly good performance. Should have been the runaway star of Rent. Daphne Rubin Vega. Go away, go away. Daphne Rubin Vega. (laughs) I, I tried to put words to it. And what it is, is... Mimi, her Mimi, is ever so slightly over the edge of being able to hold it together and control herself and get what she wants. But she's over the edge. She's constantly just the smidgen over the edge, and she's not able to contain herself, and she's not able to control her impulses. And it's because she's only slightly over the edge that it's so heartbreaking because you're rooting for her to win and it looks like she's able to, but she just keeps falling apart. And she's so vulnerable and you want to protect her. You want her to be safe. You want her to be happy because she makes you so happy. You know, 
that mm-hmm. performance of Out Tonight, that fucking amps you up. It, it it pretty much, like, you understand why, like, the people in the club love her. She mm-hmm. gives you as good a time as she gives, like, those people. And from that point on, you're, like, so endeared. You're, like, there's so much life here. There's so much joy. There's so much being. You want to preserve that. You want that to survive. She's the real heart of the show. I do have anyway. to say, yeah. wrapping up Daphne Rubin Vega, she was nominated for Best Actress in a Musical. Donna Murphy won for The King and I. Also nominated that year was Dame Julie Andrews in who Victor Victoria, who would rather stand with her egregiously overlooked cast. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Donna Murphy in King and I. I would have voted for Daphne Rubin Vega over Dame Julie Andrews, as terrific as Dame Julie hmm. Andrews is. Hmm. I understand. And then to wrap up the cast, I just have to say this is the least performed cast of Rent. Yeah. And what I mean by that, the show became such iconography that everyone afterwards was either playing to an expectation playing against it and yeah that's the case yeah. of any time you 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 replace in a show but no one was really able to completely recreate these characters for themselves it, everything's a response to the original and the place where that's honestly most apparent is the movie mm. where you see Except for Daphne, Ruben Vega, and Freddie Walker. You see the original cast who are now playing to the expectations of the performances they gave over, what was it, 10 years pretty much by that point. Yep. And they just, it's something so completely different. The performances we saw in this video and the performances that are in that movie are night and day. They're barely related. Of course. And if, and like you're also this is you know they're not teenagers in the cast but it's like a relatively young cast mm-hmm. and so in the movie they're also playing the young people that they were a decade ago mm-hmm. and that is its own layer of like falseness you're never gonna get an experience of rent like this and speaking to that experience of being able to watch this cast bootleg video uh. Uh, uh, uh. P plus. <laughs> <laughs> that was my review. Your turn. I am going to honor the teenager that, well, preteen, really, okay. that I once was when okay. I first watched this video. And I have to say, quite honestly, I was shocked. I was shocked that someone could go into a theater and get a video that looked this good and was of this high quality. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's an A. I'm but honoring you, but, the person but, 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 I was. But you know things now. Many valuable things. Well, honestly, I mean, Act 2, the copy that we had, has a bunch of lines running through it, but that's a problem with the VHS tape copying throughout yeah. the years. That's I not mean, necessarily in the original video. It captures the action pretty perfectly. It's a pretty good film. Like, every now and then you miss something. It captures about, like, 90% of the production. And generally, I'm glad that I'd already seen the pro shot before this so that I knew what the staging was. But at the same time, 
there is absolutely nothing like the experience of watching this cast perform Red. There is nothing like it. Like, the video alone, truthfully, I have to give it a B plus, and that's, like, a pretty generous thing, just because of, like, how strong it ended up being. But, you know, it's a little close up. It's a little shaky. You miss a couple things here or there. It's pretty slow. And, again, this is, like, really early. It's not like anyone knew the show at this point. It's just kind of slow to get to things. Just generally because of how found hard I found, I found this copy to watch. I'll give, at the very least, I'll say it's the copy of the show, maybe. Give it a B plus. That being said, I didn't have so much trouble with Act 2. It was obviously annoying, but, like, I could still make out the show perfectly. Rent itself as a musical? It's incomplete. It's incomplete. It's incomplete, and there's on... a grade incomplete. <laughs> yeah, we keep we keep on, like approaching shows and going like oh this is ungradable and we usually have justifiable reasons but this one is like literally it's hard incomplete. it's yeah it's hard to be able to give a definitive assessment to a musical that is objectively not in its final form and will never be the potential is an a but it's not the potential finished. is an a um i guess that's kind of where we have to leave it yeah, that's Rent. Maybe one of the greatest pieces of potential and potential alone in Broadway history. Well, this sounds better than Well, on that deeply depressing note, yeah. um, <laughs> life of this show has been a really astounding one and a really excellent one. And I'm glad that it has had the life it has had. Um, though, hearkening back to something we spoke about earlier, I would also be happy to let us as a people rediscover this show. Well, that's Rent. We're done with Rent, a show that we adore so very much. Mm-hmm. And for our next episode, we're going to be covering another show that we both adore so very much. Follies? It's, uh, not yet. Not yet. We've got something planned, but that's not in the pipeline. It's one of your favorites. Porgy and Bess? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Though no. that, that, that no. We could cover that sometime. No, 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 no. One that you're really passionate about. One I'm really passionate about. One of the best. Um, Dear World? Dear World? One of the best? Come on. I don't know. Uh, Hello, Dolly? It is a musical mm -hmm. that one could call R-E-V-O-L-T-I-N. Charles their, Revlon? Are we doing War Paint again? They're, they're S-I-N-G. U-S-I-N-G. R-E-V-O-L-T-I-N-G. Well, if you don't know, it is to L84UER Revolting with the brand new film adaptation of Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. One of Daniel's favorite pieces of art to ever exist in the breadth of musical theater. A show that Adam has. Adam. This show, I don't know where that came from. A show that Dan has expressed his undying devotion for, his unceasing how, how love dare for. You, how dare you mischaracterize me in such cruel. Mischaracterize you? I fucking ways. misnamed you. I. <laughs> um. It has all of Dan's favorite things. A Tim Minchin score, <laughs> child performers, a Netflix film adaptation of a musical. I need to stress an all-child cast. And Emma Thompson. Okay. And British people. 
Uh, Netflix is coming out with an adaptation of Matilda. I really Why enjoyed are you Matilda. Doing this to me? Uh, you picked it. Uh, I, I did not. Why are you, you doing this actually to me? Did. No, you actually did pick this one. I can't. I even... actually did not. Then how? The... Well, what the hell? The fuck did this happen? Because you had tried to put it on the schedule about three or four times, and I said it's still running in the West End. We can't. Well. Oh. Anyway, I saw the show like five or six years ago in Toronto, and I loved it. And Daniel called it one of the most incoherent pieces of theater he's ever seen. And we're gonna see who's right. I, so tune in to the next episode. I didn't. Well, I did call it incoherent. I walked out at the end of the national tour, and I said, "I think musical theater is dead." That's not better. Tune into the next episode, folks. We will see you shortly. Oh, pain, euphony, and faith. Thank you for listening to the Unauthorized Critics Circle. Tune in next week when we talk about Matilda the Musical, specifically the brand new Netflix film adaptation from Netflix. Yeah. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critics Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Rent! And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critics Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein.